I have completed 75 Best Ball Mania 4 drafts, all streamed here on this channel, various other places around the fantasy interwebs. And I figured it's time to do a bit of a portfolio review. Let's see what we've done through 75 drafts. What are some of the interesting trends? What are some of the scary fades, the big stands? What are things I want to do differently down the home stretch? All of that today on the Portfolio Review Show. Oh, another Influencer 101 for the Backward Hats, bro. Rigged! Zach Ertz with no Tyler Algier bringback? Yikes! You reached a round for correlation? That's a no-no! You ADP bros disgust me. How about you just live a little? Handcuffing might actually be a way to get unique if the field's avoiding it. The Wi-Fi at this resort is a disaster? These fucking streamers don't have player takes. What if a piss boy draft is the room you need? Oh! All right, and here to help me out today, we got uh, multiple members from the Deposit Kingdom. Nick here, who I believe first time on the channel, he's been helping me out producing the randomizer, best ball breakfast shows, and also helped me compile a lot of this day to day. We got Jonathan, who you guys know over at Fantasy Life. We've collaborated on lots of best ball pieces over there and is also firmly in the weeds on best ball. And we do have Lou, who just dropped off very quickly as well. Here he is, Lou Dog. All members of the Deposit Kingdom, all best ball sickos. How are we doing today, guys? Doing great, you know. Uh, love a good short holiday week, so loving that. Uh, how are you guys doing? Jonathan, is your headset, is that an homage to the original Best Ball Bros video when I was down in my uh, basement saying you can't handcuff your running backs? We're going to say yes on that. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lou, how are you doing? Good. I already got booted once, so hopefully that doesn't happen again. But yeah, uh, like Jonathan said, it's, it's always nice to have a short week. It was like already Wednesday and uh, gets right back to the weekend again. So excited for that. Uh, and Nick, uh, how are you doing here? Uh-oh, Nick's on a delay. Um, I'm going to assume that Nick is doing good, though. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. the format for today's yeah, show so I, is I actually... Well. <laughs> Okay, welcome, welcome. Uh, the format for today's show, I actually just posted uh, or sent Sorry. out a newsletter on the P.O. box here looking at 10 interesting trends after 75 drafts. I also have that pinned in the chat. So make sure you guys uh, are subscribed there. Get that in your inbox. Uh, if not, we will be screen sharing that as we go around. But I figure we could just start going through the post, going through some of the interesting things. If you guys have questions, comments, peanut gallery want to shame me for some of my, my stands or lack thereof, we can do that. But let's just start here right off the rip. You know, I did the, the natural thing here and looked at the guys I have the most exposure to here and I used a filter for guys I had more than double the field on, so 17% or more. I'll just rip list uh, off who meets this criteria. At quarterback, Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett. At running back, James Cook, Zach Charbonnet, Brees Hall, Raheem Mostert. At wide receiver, Tyler Lockett, Traylon Burks, Marvin Mims, Tyquan Thornton. And no tight ends actually met that criteria. I think 13 or 14% was my highest on a tight end. But any any comments from from you guys on uh, my biggest stands here in Best Ball Mania? I think uh, one thing that that jumped out to me was obviously like Howell and Pickett, low end uh, ADP guys. So how much of what you're you're looking at in number one here do you think just comes from your strategies on how you're you're drafting? 
And these guys are just, you know, when you're in that 190 range, you only have one QB at that point. So Sam Howell, you pick as your second versus you actually um, are pursuing them per se. So do you think most of this comes from just the strategy you have? And in this range, you're usually picking a quarterback versus a running back in each of these categories. Yeah, I think Kenny Pickett, like this exposure makes sense a ton. One, because I'm doing like more three QB builds, more late round QBs. And two, I'm targeting a lot of the Steelers. I like both of the receivers. I love Fryermuth. I love Jalen Warren. And so it's naturally funneled me to a lot of Kenny Pickett. Sam Howell's a little bit more interesting. Like when I see this exposure, I'm like, I like Sam Howell. I don't know if I like him 17%. And one of the things I mentioned is I do wish that my Sam Howell and Brock Purdy exposure were closer, especially since they both play in the same week 17 game. I wish I would have been breaking some of those Howell selections in favor of Brock Purdy. And then Desmond Ritter is another late round quarterback that I would like to have as much of as Sam Howell. So that's one I do plan to kind of correct on a little, a little bit. It's a very hot, uh, exposure for a guy who we aren't even, you know, completely confident is going to start 17 games. But then, you know, when I'm drafting with Sean Siegel and he's always like, well, this is a Sam Howell team. I'm like, who am I to argue? So that would be one I am actually looking to course correct on. Whereas with the Kenny Pickett, I'm pretty comfortable being double the field. Let's see here. Let's, let's move on to running back yeah, because we'll Chipsy... talk about it in a bit, but you can't even... yeah. oh. no, go ahead, Nick. I think you're just lagging a little bit. Your, your video. Oh, sorry. I I'm like a little bit. Uh, the Kenny Pickett one for me. It's uh, a lot of them. We'll look at it later too. But a lot of them are single stacks, which is what I'm surprised by with Kenny Pickett. Yeah, yeah, that is a, another thing too. And we can we'll look at that when we get down to some of my double stacks and stuff. And I don't have. I think it was on Monday stream where I did that big Lions and the big Packers. Um, I think both of those were even triple stacks. It was interesting for me to see as much as I like stacking, as much as I like correlating. I think in my rooms, it's been hard to, to like dial up like the super clean double stacks. Um, and you know, the, the Steelers are an interesting one too, because people like the Steelers, people like the Seahawks. It's you're often competing against multiple other drafters for those stacks, but your note, it was something I feathered away of like, Sometimes at this six, seven turn, would that what it would be? Or maybe five, six turn. I want to do more Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Like get those guys because I have such exposure to the Steelers, but don't have any of that one. So it is, it is something that I'm actually going to be considering. As far as the running backs, Chipsy says, I don't get the James Cook love. So to me, he is, and I know Chipsy gets the DeAndre Swift love. Uh, James Cook is DeAndre Swift in the Bills offense is is kind of the selling point you're getting the one back on the team who can actually rip off big plays and you're getting access to an offense that's going to score a ton and is going to have wide open running lanes for a running back so james cook is my preferred way to play the bills right now of basically every player i do like dawson knox a good bit too but do you guys have anything that stands out to you for uh running backs here well i was curious uh the, those first two there kind of, you know, two players, I think you clearly like the offense in, in Cook and Charbonnet, but sort of, uh, you know, very different backfield scenarios in, in the fact that Walker is, you know, a pretty expensive pick in drafts this year, where Charbonnet is kind of the clear uh, value option there, whereas, you know, with uh, the Buffalo back, Cook has Harris and, and even some Latavius Murray steam recently, you know, the fact that there are those other 
cheap options in Buffalo? Does that give you any pause that, you know, uh, maybe you're, you're going to be directionally right, but wrong on the player? Um, kind of the old uh, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, similar ADPs and, and ending up too much on, on one side of that. Just curious if that's a concern for you at all. Yeah, and I think, you know, if anything, the recent report about Latavius challenging Damian Harris for that big back role has given me more confidence in okay. James Cook. Like, if, if Damian Harris can't beat out Latavius Murray for work, then uh, they might have to give James Cook the ball more than they like because I doubt the Bills want to be saddling up Latavius Murray with a lot of touches there, too. So um, I think to James Cook, just the way they've eased him along, you know, from when he was a rookie too. And I do think we could get a lead people mentioning his average carries um, over the years, but I do think this is setting up well for him. And again, it goes back to like how I like to get exposures to offenses. And I've found digs um, to be a bit pricey. I don't have a lot of Josh Allen either. And so in the same way I'm playing you know, um, like the Jags are another good example. Like I'm mainly playing them through the running backs, ETN and Tank Bigsby, and I'm not taking a lot of the pass catchers. It's just kind of how I've decided I want to attack this Bills offense. Um, maybe I should try to get some more Josh Allen and James Cook teams just because I do like that pairing. But yeah, I mean, I, I will say to the chat's point, like maybe this isn't a guy like I can fully be like I should be windmilling it in on James Cook. Maybe this is a, a touch high. Um, he's another one. If in my drafts, it'd be funny if we did a filter for my James Cook exposure and Sean drafts. I feel like we've taken him in about 80% of those ones. And not to use it as a cop out too, but there's that point right in like the ninth, 10th round. And it is what I call the James Cook, Zach Charbonnet range, where it's like, I got my five or six wide receivers. This board's really flat. Don't really feel like reaching for Najoku or, you know, Fryermuth, I can get in another round. It's time to start building out my running back room. And Cook, Charbonnet, Javante Williams, those have been the guys that I just like keep clicking in that range. Yeah, totally the same for me in drafts. That that same range. Uh, yeah, hammering all the RBs there. A lot of my top exposures come in that, that same group. Um, Nick, any other thoughts on the running backs here? Uh, no, I, I like the Brees Hall one being that high compared to the other second round running backs for sure. Raheem Mostert, I think you, you do mention it in the letter. You wish the Devin A chain would be a little bit higher, Mostert a little bit lower. So I, I think I would agree with that as well. Yeah. And, um, Nick saying with so much Brees, who is your next highest top three running back behind? I should get the, uh, the best ball hub pulled up. Also, I got to give two shout outs. So for the tools that I use to compile this, I use the fantasy life best ball hub. And I use Michael Dubner's, uh, tracking spreadsheet. You'll see, as we dig in a little bit deeper, he had a bunch of data that he was able to aggregate through a spreadsheet, like how often I'm getting specific draft picks and all of that good stuff. So shout out to both of those tools completely free. I link to them in the post and I'll make sure they're in the show description as well. But let me do a little screen share here on my other running back so you can get a quick look at it. My next one would be Ramondre there. So Ramondre just missed the, the cut. Um, and basically that comes down to, I like Pollard more than Brees and Ramondre, but he's also been the one that's been more expensive and has gotten pushed up more regularly into the late second round. Whereas Ramondre and Brees Hall continue to chill out there. I'm trying to find my Pollard here. I'm at 11% Pollard, which feels, I wouldn't mind being a smidge higher on him, but again, just because in that range, I'm often trying to grab a wide receiver like Devonta Smith or Chris Olave. Um, I haven't ended up with quite as much of him. 
Um, let's see here. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Dolphins backfield in a second. Let me go to uh, this screen share so we can tab back and forth between that. What about the wide receivers here for you guys? Tyler Lockett, Traylon Burks, Marvin Mims, Tyquan Thornton. And I guess I would say Lockett, kind of like James Cook, is a weird one. And it's a guy I like, but not necessarily a guy I would have pegged as my highest drafted wide receiver, specifically because I love JSN so much. And so this exposure, I've actually been struggling with it as I've stared at it over the past week. Would you say that was, or go ahead, Lou. I was going to say, does this section come from avalanches, you think, where you're taking these guys um, because so many wide receivers were already gone and you want to get your, what would this be, like your fourth or fifth wide receiver at this point, and um, compared to guys around them, you just like them a lot more than the others in that like 60, 70 range? I think that is a really good point. And you see Mike Evans here just off both Evans and Lockett have been at that five, six turn a ton. And it does, it is always that thing, right? You're at that turn and in the avalanche drafts coming back to the seven, eight turn, you can just see them all wiped out. Like you can legit be staring at Jacoby Myers is the best available guy in an avalanche room at the seven, eight turn. So I'm almost always being like, Hey, I want to lock up one of these guys. I think Evans and Lockett are both, you know, maybe mispriced by like, I don't know, around. Um, and so I do like them a lot, but it does make me realize I also want to beef up my elite tight end exposure. And that's the range where Kittle is now regularly available. You can reach a little bit for Kyle Pitts there. Um, and this goes back to the Steelers thing, right? Like I want to start being a little more creative with my pairings, you know, reach a bit for a Quinton Johnston pairing with one of these guys or do the George Pickens, Deontay Johnson stuff, because I have been in a little bit of cruise control. I think to your point of like Lockett and Evans, my favorite player there, I'm always grabbing a wide receiver, click, 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 click. Next thing you know, you're, you're pretty overweight on two guys that you like, but don't necessarily love. I think that uh, kind of leads into maybe a little bit uh, higher level conversation that I was curious about, uh, you know, at what point here, I know we're, we're kind of doing this because you're halfway through your BBM exposure, but, you know, have you been kind of intentionally adjusting some of those uh, picks you're making? Or is that something you're just now starting to really think about, you know, what you want to change going forward? Um, and has it just more been kind of, I think Pat called it, you know, drafting by vibes and then seeing what the vibes add up to? Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting, too, because I, I mentioned this in the post that 25 or 26 of my 75 teams have been with guests. And so there's that element. And then there's also the element that I do really subscribe to. I just want to draft the best possible team for that specific room. And I almost have this like. I don't even really think about other exposures. Obviously I have like the brick draft caddy in there. So I see it. So it's like subconsciously there, but for the most part, I'm like, what player makes the most sense for this team? Another thing with the locket selection, this doesn't really account for the Evans one is knowing it gives me access to Geno Smith later. A lot of times I haven't spent a pick on a quarterback and I do often break ties in favor of picks who have late quarterbacks. It's why I have a lot of Steelers guys too, funneling me to Kenny Pickett. So that's a dynamic, but I do think it's tough to like want to balance my overall exposures while still drafting the best possible team while incorporating what my guest wants to do in, you know, a third of the draft. So I think that's naturally going to happen that they're not going to be as fine tuned as perfectly as I'd like, but this exercise I think is going to help me going through of being like, don't just cruise control 
click Tyler Lockett, you know, really think this through. Um, and uh, I do think I will start, you know, I, as I say later in the post, kind of gently tilting my exposures away now that I've really kind of focused on this. Have you thought of doing it like help oppo strategy? Oh, oh, yeah. No, you're good, saying, like, like the oppo, like flip your draft to where instead of taking Lockett here, you force yourself to take a running back in that range. Yeah, no. And I, I, I want to do that too. Uh, you know, and it's funny for Lockett because we're talking Seahawks. I want to get more Kenneth Walker right now where my take isn't even that I love Sharp Sharp so much. It's that I love the Seattle backfield. And I actually just wrote about this in the Fantasy Life newsletter the other day where I think there's a lot of, you know, concern about a committee here, which is suppressing both of their prices. But when you actually look at how they've deployed running backs, I believe the stat was since 2018, um, no more than one running back has had more than 10 carries in a game. Um, uh, more than like eight times. So it's like once or twice over the year, they'll actually get a second running back involved. And so it's more of a binary thing that they like riding a bell cow. And my thesis is just like similar to last year where it's like, if Kenneth Walker stays healthy, I think he's going to be a league winner where he's going. And if he gets hurt, I think uh, Charbonnet is going to do his Beth Kenneth, Kenneth Walker impression from last year and be a league winner. So I want to start targeting those guys. And he would be, instead of taking Lockett, I take Kenneth Walker in that range where I'm accomplishing a similar thing, access to an offense I like, while also, you know, lowering my my locket exposure. What were you going to say, Nick? Uh, it doesn't help that at the end of the 5-6 turn, you have Lockett and Burks. You're like, those are just such easy clicks if you need a fourth or a fifth receiver at that point. Knowing at the 7-8 turn, it's going to be absolute garbage back there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think that is is a dynamic there too. And I've, you know, you, you see me in in my stream drafts. Like I'm terrified of the the avalanche and getting boxed out coming back. Um, and so now I think I want to just have more conviction in my take that essentially the wide receivers from the end of the third round all the way to when like Traylon Burks and George Pickens come off the board. Like I just think that's such a flat tier. And I need to start having more conviction to mix and match in smart ways, irregardless of ADP there, as opposed to just being like, all right, Lockett's the top guy on the board. I'm going to select him. Like it is not the end of the world. You know, if you're, if you're reaching within what I consider a very flat tier. Um, Phil asking here, why do you think you're reaching for Mostert 15 spots ahead of ADP? Do you actually like him or is it a point where you just need an RB? So Mostert was, is definitely a guy that I don't have good closing line value on just because I was drafting a ton of the Dolphins, and I've kind of doubled down on it a little bit as both him and Jeff Wilson have gotten extremely cheap with the Dalvin Cook rumors, which were something I've never really bought to Miami. I'm still under, my take is that unless there's an injury to their backfield, like I don't really think they're ever going to open up the wallet and give Dalvin Cook what he wants. So although the funny thing and scary thing is that now sounds like the Jets are actually the leader in the clubhouse for Dalvin, which could be a big issue for Brees Hall because if he goes, if Dalvin goes to the Jets, we're going to get fourth round, maybe fifth round, Brees Hall. And then it's like, well, now I'm going to start collect, clicking this guy in every single draft again at these, these new prices. So, yeah, I am going to get some bad closing line value uh, on these guys. Um, any other comments from you guys before we move on on just kind of my overall top exposures? Nothing for me. The next section is what to, I want to get uh, into. You need to get Kendra Miller up there. <laughs> Yeah, he he barely missed the uh, the threshold here. Kendra Miller, sixteen percent. I know Nick. Nick, what is your current Kendra Miller exposure? 
it's something it's something massive. 55%. So yeah. So my, my 60% is going a to nice look 55%. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed, I think he would have been right up here at, at 17 to 20%. If not for in the past, I don't know, week and a half. I know I've scooped up Jamal Williams a few times past ADP on Monday show. I got Alvin Kamara 30 picks past ADP. And so, you know, the bears, the dolphins, And the Saints, you know, I've been basically targeting all of those backs and I've been using some of these extreme values in my rooms to kind of balance that out a bit. But yes, I am still firmly on team Kendra Miller. Um, Let's keep scrolling down now to some of my fades. Those of you who watch the streams regularly will not be surprised to know about some of these. Obviously, a lot of the olds, the Adam Thielens, the Jarek McKinnons, the Zeeks and Les Pats drafting with me, uh, Nick Chubb, you know, some of these guys. I guess the biggest surprise I'm assuming for people is Calvin Ridley. Are there any others that jumped out to you guys or that you'd like to interrogate me on? Uh, I have, I have some interrogation Um, for me. First off, like, are you looking at these and you want to add to these players because you only have one of them or are you mostly comfortable with one? Cause to me, I, I would feel pretty bad about having, only one share of Chubb and Barkley, two guys that can any given week really be the the RB1 on that week. So to me, I think they're guys, I know Davis always talks about that Tundra game that uh, Chubb is going to be in in the playoffs. But I mean, we've seen running backs in snow games be able to put up big numbers because I mean, they're probably not going to throw the ball as much. So are, are you scared of, of Chubb and Barkley? And do you think you're going to be forcing those guys into future lineups? I would say of all the guys on this list, uh, the three that I could see myself going out of my way to be over 1% on would be Chubb and Barkley, who you just mentioned, and Christian Kirk. Um, Specifically, I find it a little weird that I'm full fading Calvin Ridley, but also full fading Christian Kirk. The problem is, is I wish there was a little bit more of a discount on Kirk relative to Ridley, I mean, Kirk is still really expensive. I think we can blame ETR and Leone for that one because they're ahead of market on Kirk, which is just keeping his ADP right up in that range. And I do have a hard time clicking on him uh, ahead of some other guys there. But to your point, Lou, the, the reason it's happened, and I, I posted it here, is that I like the five backs going after Chubb and Barkley more, um, if not, you know, I was going to say equally, if not more. So Pollard, Derrick Henry, Ramondre, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall. And so it's been so hard for me to be like, I'm going to hate the wide receivers available in round three. I know I'm going to like a Jalen Waddle or Garrett Wilson, like some of the guys you have to pass up on to select Chubb now as Chubb somehow gets even more pricey. And I really like playing the Browns backfield through Jerome Ford, even with his price rising. And Again, I trust me, if anyone gets, hey, could Nick Chubb go for 35 in the fantasy playoffs? Trust me, I get it. But where he's fallen relative to these other guys, same with Barkley, has been an extremely tough click for me. So it's more this, but I also want to balance it out, right? I think maybe in a perfect world, I'd be at like three or 4% Chubb and maybe five to 6% Barkley. Um, So I do see myself, but I'm going to have to really push myself to do that because it does not come naturally to me as a click. Um, what, do, what do you guys think about the Calvin Ridley one? Cause that's the one I think it's like, Hey Pete, you're, you love your wide receivers. You're, you're making sure yeah. you don't get buried by an avalanche. You're picking in the background end of round three. It, where are you guys at on, on Calvin Ridley? Does that one stand out to you? 
I, to me, it's the whole Jaguars offense that you're, or well, uh, you know, the team stacks chart that you have up a little bit above look like the Jaguars are maybe them or Arizona is maybe your lowest yeah. uh, exposure, which to me, uh, I think Paul said it best in the chat, fading all Jags pass catchers seems bad. I'm taking the exact opposite approach uh, to the Jaguars offense where I'm, I have a decent amount of ETN, but preferring to play that through the pass catchers for uh, a couple different reasons, um, you know, especially Kirk and, and Ridley. I think, you know, I, I can see from like a median projection standpoint being a little bit, you know, thinking they're a little bit overpriced, but with the jump that I think Lawrence can take this year, uh, you know, second year in, in an actual real NFL team, uh, not under the Urban Meyer experience, uh, and the fact that they're, you know, Doug Peterson offense, extremely multi tight end heavy and, uh, you know, tends to lead to higher target per hour run rates for the wide receivers. I think there's a good chance we could see them really be kind of what the Eagles were last year, where they it's really soft schedule, uh, concentrated passing game, and they're just blowing teams out, you know, at the third quarter. Uh, and to me, that seems like a you know, recipe for potentially getting buried by by that breakout offense. So just curious to yeah, kind of hear more of your your thoughts on why you're fading that passing game. Yeah, I think the the way I would want to do it is more through Kirk um, if I do want to play that. And one of the reasons to taking Kirk is to get some of the Trevor, Trevor Lawrence value that's now starting to happen. I think the market finally realized when he – I mean, what was it? Was that some of the first drafts we opened up of the very first year? Trevor Lawrence was going in the third round of drafts. I remember seeing those screenshots because the market was so excited and frothy, even looking at the futures bets, you know, the Jags, you know, Super Bowl future – Winning the AFC, like that was one of the most bet futures just because people want to be excited about this offense. And so we've seen some course correction for some of those prices. Lawrence has dropped, but Ridley hasn't budged. And it's kind of how I feel about Jamison Williams, where it's, you know, traditionally be like, this is a guy I would chase, love all of the intangibles, the draft capital, the situation. But it's like when you have these guys who have been out of football for a long time, like the, the, the historical hit rate for those kind of cohorts is really, really poor. And I do worry that we're making some pretty big assumptions about Calvin Ridley just being the guy he was in Atlanta. And I think you could argue he has much more target competition now than he even did with Julio Jones in Atlanta because Kirk is good and Zay is good and Evan Ingram is good and they have two good running backs. And so that one stands out to me. I do, I do want to get some more exposure to this offense though, probably through Evan Ingram. I don't like the Zay price either though. So that's why it's just like so hard for me. It feels like these guys are mostly priced toward the top of their ranges. They feel like the classic, what's the phrase that they would be a small hit, um, but potentially a big loss. I guess the one thing maybe I'm not thinking through is like contingent upside, right? Like if one of these guys got hurt, like if, if Calvin Ridley's a flop or whatever, I mean, Zay and Kirk could just smash their ADPs again. And so maybe I should think of it more of a way to leverage my Ridley stand of like, if Ridley sucks and bombs, then who is going to benefit in that regard? Um, but the truth is I've mainly wanted to do that. I want more ETN right now. And so I do mm. think that's kind of my way of trying to target this offense. But I, I should be I should be grilled about it because it's an interesting you know, to be out on Ridley and Kirk in the wide receiver avalanche meta on underdog um, is is an interesting thing. Yeah. ETN might be some good leverage. Yeah. What were you going to say, Nick? I <clears throat> I'm a I'm a huge Eagles fan and Clemson fan, so Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence together is like a dream scenario for me. So I'm pretty high on the Jags' offense. 
and I probably so too much so, honestly. So I need to opposite of you, I need to scale back some because I have like 15% <laughs> Calvin, like 13% Kirk, same with like Trevor Lawrence and ETN as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think like, again, you, you can almost use the super flat tier argument at wide receiver as an argument in either direction, right? Where it's like, you know, might as well take some Ridley here at this price where like, if I think, you know, psychologically, if Calvin Ridley was an early fifth round pick, I bet I would be about even with the field on him. But if my thought is that all of these wide receivers are pretty flat, you know, from the back end of round three through round seven, I should probably be just biting the bullet and being like, what is 15 picks of ADP difference within a flat tier? Like I'm making kind of like a moral ADP stand on like Calvin Ridley should not be at the tippity top of this tier. Therefore, I'm not going to have him. But then that like negates the tier argument in itself. So I do think uh, I do think I need to make sure to get that up a little bit more. Um, okay. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about it. Like obviously Lazard, Beckham, Jacoby, no one needs to hear me say why I don't like those guys. Let's move on to where I'm picking in drafts because I want to say over the past, like, I don't know, two to three weeks, I've gotten so many comments. Do you ever get an early draft slot anymore? Because every time people watch me stream, it seems like I'm picking at one nine, one ten, and we can look at the data here and actually see if this is true. And it is correct. My most drafted slot, 15% of the time, is draft slot 10. And then I have draft slot 9 at 11%, draft slot 5 at 11%. So not a ton here at the top. My influencer rate, uh, 7% influencer 101, so slightly below expectation here. Although I don't know for you guys, it does anecdotally feel like I'm not picking in the top half of drafts as much as uh, I used to. Do you think well, you're like, losing value for that? Yeah, when I was looking through the data. <laughs> yeah. What's that, Nick? When I was looking through when I was looking through everything, uh, I noticed your very first draft of BBM4 was a 101. So they just kind of rubbed <laughs> you on that because everything since you've only had, let's see, so you've had five 101, so you've only had four cents. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. which is not not ideal here. I will say, like, my spin zone is that I do like picking in super wide receiver avalanche rooms. I do like picking toward the back end of the round because it allows you to get those two wide receivers early, you know, basically every combination of Adams, Lamb, Garrett Wilson, Waddle, et cetera, and then also, you know, set you up to kind of double tap those at specific turns there and not get locked out. So I haven't minded it from that perspective. And the other benefit is, right, like I've had the draft and I linked to it where I think I started like Lamb and Devontae Adams and Brees Hall and Josh Jacobs make it all the way back to me. And so it basically is this, hey, get your two wide receivers. They're the best picks on the board here anyways. And on top of that, you get the chance at a massive faller in a piss boy room. So it hasn't felt like a death sentence, but yeah, I would love more Justin Jefferson. I would love more Jamar chase. It would be very fun to get more of those guys. Is, you know, is there any, any strategy adjustments you think you can make? Um, you know, it's obviously it's tough. It's just, you know, uh, RNG, uh, you know, even though uh, I know everyone likes to believe in the uh, influencer algorithm or whatever, but uh, you know, is there anything you, you know, you think you can do if say this keeps up, you know, you check in at, at, draft 100 or whatever draft 125 and you're still uh you know getting a lot of back end picks i mean is there anything you think you could do strategy wise or is that just kind of you know luck of the draw 
Yeah, real quick before I answer that, Nick, I do know that you have to take off uh, right now. So just wanted to say uh, thanks again for hopping on. Nick helped a ton uh, compiling this data and pointing stuff out. So really appreciate it. Nick's also been helping with production stuff for Randomizer and Best Ball Breakfast. So shout out, Nick. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend, man. Yes, sir. See you guys later. Thank you for having me on. Sorry about the lag. (laughs) You're good. You're good. I'm used to David Kitchen, so you're you're completely fine. Um, All right. So, yeah, I'm trying to think if there is anything I would go out of my way to do differently. Obviously, you can't go out of your way to get, like, more Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson if you're not getting those slots. Um, But as far as the other stuff, I think looking at the first-round picks, the guy I'm lightest on relative to expectation is Travis Kelsey. Um, but that's more intentional, um, than anything. And he seems to have kind of a wide band within the first round. Like sometimes he'll go four, sometimes he'll go eight. So I feel like if I ever do want to ratchet that up, uh, I can, but yeah, I think, I don't know about you guys, but I've just been finding like picks five through eight or nine to be just like a tough zone in general. I, I finally, Hilo got me to draft an Austin Eckler share, on Monday. I wouldn't mind getting a little bit more of him, but again, it goes back to that dynamic. How many times in my rooms have you been able to get Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson in the second round? And at the same time, I bought into what Sean said about, you know, guys like AJ Brown and Diggs not being as strong of first round picks as we would maybe want to admit. So I just find that entire range after like Cooper cup and Tyreek come off the board to be pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely looks like the the chat's on the same page too. It's you know, I, which I don't feel like this has been the case in most other years, but yeah, I often feel like I'd prefer a, a pick at the end of the draft rather than in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's kind of would... nice though that you have more picks in that range though, because you can spread out the exposures a little bit. You can True. pick Eckler at seven if you want, or you can reach for one of those wide receivers if you're expecting it to be avalanche room. So it, maybe that's kind of a bright side of having more picks at the second half of these. Yeah. And I do feel like the, the one and two slots are maybe still a bit of a cheat code because it gives you, first of all, you get the two best wide receivers in football. You can often catch, uh, if you want to go with the double anchor RB, you can often do like a Pollard Ramondre combo with one of those top guys where it's like, the fact that you're able to get access to two running backs with legitimate top five upside and one of the top two wide receivers does seem slightly unfair to uh, to the rest of drafters. And we will see, you know, it's been the whole debate. Are these running backs ever going to get pushed up? I would like to see them pushed up just so the 101, 102 bros don't get that giant advantage. Like, let, let's get Pollard and Ramondre and Brees going in the mid-second so they can't unlock those builds quite as much. Um, all right, let's move on to some of these other nuggets. As I've said, this post that I'm screen sharing is from my PO box newsletter. I also, guys, I've been having some dark thoughts about threading some of these trends on Twitter, just some really dark thoughts. And I need to know, should I just let the stream in the newsletter post speak for itself? Or do I need to get into the thread game on either Elon or Zuckerberg's site? Yeah. I think thread. I, I mean, you've seen Davis has hundred K views on his threads that he's been posting. Like it, I think this could be one. Um, do you think it's too niche? That's the other thing I've thought of with this, even being a thread, put, put, put that on my tombstone. Here lies Peter Overzet in, in parentheses. Do you think it was too niche? <laughs> 
story of my goddamn life. No, but that is also the thing. It's like, is there any, like, there's no way this thing's going viral. You know, like people be yeah. talking about how I have one bear dolphins RV in every draft. No, they want to know if I, what if I had to reframe each of these through a thread like lens, you know, it was like these three league winning uh, backfields that you'd be a fucking idiot to ignore. Like that's how I would need to do it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think your your clickbait game is uh, strong enough from all the you know newsletter writing. I think you could could come up with something good there. Got there faith. You go. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like it? I guess you'd have to. I think it would have to be different than how this one's set up, where it's mm. more like like um, you figured out which strategies are the best, uh, or yeah. you know, they, I think it's more of like a takeaway is what the thread would be better for versus like I took. You know, 0% Calvin Ridley, that could be one of them. Why? Uh, more so than just, like, the data itself. Yeah. yeah how how um, I plan to win uh, $3 million, I think that'll just get you uh, plenty of engagement on its yeah. own. Um, all right. I'm going to have to continue to think about this. Um, all right. Next one here. Uh, so this one I've written about. I've talked about it. You've seen me draft um, Dolphins, Bears, running backs, and basically every draft. I was the Saints could almost make um, this list as well because I consider these the like three ambiguous backfields where all of the running backs are going after pick one ten, and I think there's pretty big upside. I'm just not as heavy on Kamara and Jamal Williams to kind of thrust them into this specifically. Um, at what 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 is your guys' thoughts on this? Because to me, this it still seems obvious, like targeting whichever of your preference from these backfields. Um, you know, I did get a teeny bit spooked for a hot second with the Dalvin Cook stuff, but then saw through the bullshit. I'm pretty comfortable with these stands. Do you guys think I'm crazy? Should I go harder into it? What do you think of these backfields? I'm right there with you on Miami. Uh, that's I haven't haven't done the math, but I'm guessing that would be my highest kind of cumulative ownership of a backfield. Um, I, I'm not quite there with the Bears. Um, you know, I can definitely see the arguments for it, uh, and that's probably one that I, I do need to bring up my exposure on. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think you're you're crazy at all, and, and yeah, the Dolphins I think are a clear smash. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, with Bears, I, is your is your thought that one of the three is going to emerge because? With Justin Fields there, it, it's hard for me to see like a running back really sort of dominate and be who you need. Um, so is is it more the thought that you just expect one of these three to emerge? So I, I do think like with um, both of these teams, and I kind of mention it in the post that I really think one guy's going to be the odd man out. We just unless you're just just this insanely prolific rushing offense. It's going to be hard to support three running backs. Um, but I do think two of these running backs can either, you know, deliver on their ADP or uh, outperform it just like the status quo, not even like injuries, just based on how the depth chart shuffles out. And then you feather in, the contingent upside of one of these guys going down. And, you know, I think like Raheem Mostert and A-Chain, their kind of outcomes are probably more mutually tied together. You know, if one of those guys gets hurt, I do really think the other could just be a stone-cold league winner from where they're being drafted. Um, Roshan Johnson is probably like the biggest enigma out of all of these guys. Like, I feel like we don't know a ton about him just because of how stuff played out in college. He might have the inside track to the pass catching role in, in, in Chicago, which then you could argue is that going to be even valuable, but you know, to your point, Lou, even with field stealing stuff, I mean, this team was one of not just last year, but like historically one of the most run heavy teams in the league 
and they rush the ball almost 60% of the time. I think we also do see, and I don't know if I'm just bullshitting here, but you know, we've seen Lamar's rushing rates each year go down a little bit as they try to protect him a bit as a franchise quarterback. I don't know. Maybe Justin Fields doesn't run as much this year. They just draft Roshan. Maybe they do kind of establish it with these guys, bring in Deontay Foreman a bit more, but I just really feel like these are small miss big win picks where you're going to get some standalone value in most scenarios and you could just get league winning smashes in basically any contingent scenario. Yeah. So most um, of it has to do with just that they're essentially zero RB candidates and it's sort of, you expect at least one of these guys is going to work out for you. So you're just going to sort of spreading it. Um, going off of these offenses basically. Yeah. And I think the other thing that this dovetails with too, is just um, going back to how, and this has been very much informed by Leone's research on dead roster spots and old Peter would have been drafting way more 17th and 18th round running back flyers, like all through draft season. It would have been like, is he a band of candidate? Come on down. Chase Brown, come on down. All these guys that if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't know where they are on the depth chart. I would have been taking some fucking Ronald Jones to start the draft season, all of this stuff. And now I'm starting to think, with these six guys that I have up here, I do really feel confident that these guys are going to have a role at some point during the season. Like it might be the veterans starting out and then we see A-Chain and Roshan down the stretch. Might be an injury, but I feel like these guys are all going to touch the ball at some point this year. Whereas with some of these backs, like I cannot say that with confidence. Like we all like Izzy Vanikanda. Like if he's buried on the depth chart behind Zonovan Knight and Michael Carter as a resurgence and he's just a zero all year, that's within the realm of possibility. And so I think pushing up my zero RB targets into this range where I had more confidence about their job security, I think that has funneled me to this backfield more. And I could see these numbers coming down as we start to get more clarity, as we get more Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBrides and these other more viable backup running backs in the late round. My guess is these exposures will come down. And I also think, don't you guys think one of these running backs from each team, the Dolphins and Bears, probably has like a two to three round rise in them based on training camp and preseason news? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I think, yeah, especially the Herbert Foreman. Like, yeah, we're, we're still kind of unsure, but I think one of them could emerge for sure. Uh, and then the other thought I had on this is, are you low on their pass attacks as part of this this thought process? Um, yes, I'm a little low on specifically the Bears. Um, I have not been doing a ton of uh, elite QBs. Jonathan and I actually did uh, an article about this on Fantasy Life, and uh, I would like to get a little bit more Justin Fields, but I am light on him right now at four percent. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is kind of impacting that same idea of like, how am I attacking this offense? I love the prices for the bears running backs more than I do that, the, the, the passing game with DJ Moore and fields. So that's impacting it. But I basically love the entire dolphins offense just because it's so concentrated. So I'm never passing on Waddle or Hill, you know, out mm -hmm. of value or where it makes sense. And then I'm always trying to stack them with Tua. So yeah, I guess the Dolphins, I'm just kind of all in in general. And I feel like we're getting just like a slight overall discount because of Tua injury risk. Everyone's just a little spooked. So I don't mind leaning into that. Um, Jonathan, I know you have to take off in a second. 
but because we didn't get through all of the posts yet, was there any other one or specific thing that you wanted to ask about we could jump to um, that you had noticed in reviewing this? I mean, the Jaguars was the, the main one I wanted to grill you on. Um, so, you know, I got, got that out of the way. Um, I, I am curious because, uh, and, and I don't need to spend too much time on this, but I feel like uh, streams I've seen you on, you know, Davis goes on his weather rants about the El Nino year and, and all that stuff. And I, f- I feel like you're just kind of sitting there taking it in, Pete. But I, I'm curious, you know, is that something that you're, as we, as we kind of transition to the week 17 game stacks here, um, you know, is that something that you are factoring in at all? Do you think that's just, you know, kind of completely overhyped, overblown? I feel like you, you've been trying to be nice to Davis on those streams, and I want to hear the uh, unfiltered truth here. This goes back to that thing, too, of like the idea of letting drafts come to you. And you can look at my week 17 stacker here, and there isn't, it's pretty balanced. And it's almost like reflective of my overall like individual exposures. You know, it's like, oh, I'm light on. Arizona. So I'm going to be light on that game. I'm light on the Jag. So I'm going to be light on that game. And I'm actually just pretty evenly targeting games because it's based on how a draft goes. I am going to be trying to build out stacks around that, not purposely going, all right, I'm going to do another commander's Niner stack. Like how are we going to go accomplish this? So that said, I have started to dig into the schedule more. One of my notes that I want to focus on going forward, more Viking stacks. I do want to, again, gently tilt towards some of these factors that I do think are micro edges that I maybe for lack of laziness or just letting the draft come to me, I haven't sought out quite as much. And, you know, I've mentioned how I haven't been selecting Jordan Addison quite as much in that range. Maybe I'm starting to use like, Hey, yes, maybe you like other players a little bit more than him, but you want more exposure to the Viking schedule down the stretch. Like maybe my opponents aren't factoring in this in quite as much and so I would like to just factor it in slightly more than them, where I've I've probably been even with them on how they're factoring it in. So yeah, I do want to start thinking about that um, and looking at some of those kind of micro weather environment edges a bit more. Yeah. Um, all right, Jonathan, do you got to get going here? Yep. Yeah, I've got a, a Peter Jennings level hard out. Got a tea time in about <laughs> thirty minutes, so uh, <laughs> I got to hit the road get get to the course. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. Always fun to to dig into this data. Yeah, and I should also say why we're doing all these other portfolio reviews. It was on Thursday's Fantasy Life newsletter. Jonathan did a Fantasy Life overall portfolio review. So we all sent him our CSVs, and he went through and looked at the players we are all drafting the most collectively over at Fantasy Life. You can check that out on FantasyLife.com in the newsletter as well. Um, Jonathan, we'll uh, we'll chop it up again here soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. Have a good weekend, Pete. All right. Peace. See you guys. So yeah, I don't think there's like a ton interesting with like these specific stats. Um, the reason the yeah. Chargers in Denver pop out so much is because I have so much Marvin Mims and you can see all the various Chargers I've mixed and matched him with. Is there anything else here, Lou, yeah. before we move on that's interesting? I, I did have an, an interesting thought on that where Denver is your highest exposure team, but yeah. none of their players were highest on there. And then you yeah. see them highest on the game stack for week 17. So are you mostly taking like one bring back on the, on Denver in every draft, basically. Is that, is that sort of how that's been breaking down? Yeah. And I, and I do think it's tilted more of like, I have more Denver stacks, you know, I've done some Russ. I don't have as much uh, Herbert and stuff. And that was why it was fun when uh high low got me to draft that, um, that Herbert Eckler team uh, the other day. But I do think this stack is more driven by Denver stacks and then, you know, grabbing one charger, you know, along the way, you can see here, like Keenan's a guy I've selected a lot. Uh, 
Everett a decent amount. I really like Quentin Johnston. So I'm basically getting those guys as part of a bring back in, in Denver stacks, as opposed to I'm doing charger stacks and then tacking on a Denver bring back. So most of this comes from Mims specifically. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of cool how you have it broken out to specific to, to Mims. Uh, the Jason Moore one, that's, that's just like last round kind of dart throw. Or is that mostly when you already have Herbert? Or are you taking him one off? I now that you say that, I'm like, why? Why is there a Jason uh, Moore share in here? This one, one team. This this might have sneaked. Do you know what this might have sneaked in from uh, a a randomizer? Yeah, this this stuck in from the randomizer draft with with Jason last week. That's what that was. Okay. (laughs) So basically, what I ended up doing. So the way the Best Ball Hub works is you can upload your overall exposure CSV that has all your teams. Then I re-ran it with just my Best Ball Mania exposures, but I took that screenshot, the old one, because I was really like, did I seriously select Jason Moore unironically? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, that does, that's boosting my numbers. Um, exactly. Randomizer. Um, okay. Um, am I actually a value hound? Um, it's so funny because I do really feel like my behavior in these drafts has been like super polarized where a lot of the time when I'm drafting, I am a true value hound and I've been loving to scoop that up. And then I draft with Sean and I'm the opposite of a value hound. It's just like, fuck ADP, man. Sky Moore, 30 picks ahead of ADP. Tyquan Thornton, 35 picks ahead of ADP. So you can see here uh, on the screen, best value instances, worst value instances. And I should also say, this is not strictly... um, uh, pick number minus current ADP. It also includes cost adjustment based on historical pick value. So this is a little formula that Dubner has in his spreadsheet. So that's why you don't see Alvin Kamara at you know minus 30 because it is valuing a cost adjustment here. But I thought the interesting trend from this, Lou, was maybe with one or two exceptions, um, like a guy like Rondell Moore, the best value instances are guys I don't really like, and I'm using the value as an excuse to get exposure. Whereas the worst value instances are the guys who I think have such a wide range of outcomes that they could just blow the ADP out of the water and thus could help, you know, you know, justify or soften the blow of the reach. But does anything else stand out to you from these guys? Um, I, I mean, we see Wandale, Wandale on there, uh, three times so like yeah his, his value just uh his adp value dropped a lot are you taking any uh thoughts from this potentially for like next year as far as like madison obviously was a guy who there was the talks on on dalvin uh resigning or not uh do you think you're gonna try to get ahead of some values like that uh next year yeah not having more madison is definitely a mistake like i should have been less stubborn with it like it was, it was this weird dynamic, right, where everyone knew Dalvin Cook was gone, and yet the market still, myself included, hadn't fully baked it in. And I should have just said, like, this guy's destined for the fifth and sixth round. Start taking him some more in the ninth and tenth or wherever he was going before. Um, but, yeah, that entire range has been just a range that I was kind of ignoring. And, I like, I want more Damian Pierce. I wish I would have had a little bit more Joe Mixon before his price creeped up um you know there's a couple guys in there that i would like a little bit more of so yeah the madison one i think was a mistake not taking advantage of that market movement i'm willing to be uh exposed to some bad clv on guys like wandell robinson in that you know the market 
is really efficient at pricing the second year breakout profiles. But if there's something that throws them off the scent, like Wandele getting hurt last year, like Tyquan Thornton being in a bad offense, um, like Alec Pierce being in a bad offense, like those three guys. And I believe if we look here, I have a decent amount of Alec Pierce as well. Um, I'm really buying the dip. Yeah. Alec Pierce here at 16% on these guys who, I don't think if we had seen just a little bit more from them or they were in slightly better environments, I think they'd be going four to five rounds higher than they are now. So I'm okay getting bad CLB on those guys. On the running back ones, I'm a little more upset that I didn't capitalize on it more. Yeah. Um, thank you, Tyler, for always being my like hype man in the chat. I assume most of you guys have been watching my streams, but if for some reason you aren't, I have been streaming all 150 of my best ball mania drafts. We're also doing a giveaway when we hit 15 K subs on the channel. Lou has been doing a lot of work with me on editing the shorts. We got the full court press going this best ball season. So um, get subscribed, hit the like button. We'll be back on Monday for another double header best ball breakfast. Lou, let's move on here to number seven. Oh no. I thought I was a zero RB bro. Um, we look at my overall roster constructions here for the structural running back strategies, zero RB 12%, anchor RB 37%, double anchor RB 21%, and then the modified anchor RB at 30%. Are, are you shocked that I'm, I'm no longer a true piss, piss boy? I mean, look at the team that won the BBM <laughs> last year. It was uh double anchor RB, right? It sure that was. was yeah. Uh, Remind me what the hyper fragile would be. Is that first one in like the 12th round? How, li how yeah, late is so that? I believe it's three through five. I actually want to pull up the draft I did with Chris G, who I think G's still hanging out in the chat. I think it just barely missed the qualification for hyper fragile. I believe Dubner's probably classifying it as three through four. I think uh, I want to look at the team that G and I did because we took Eckler, Bijan, to start. And then we took Kenneth Walker, but we might've gotten such a good deal on Walker that it pushed us out. Here we go. See, yeah. Walker at pick 64. So I consider oh, this a hyper fragile build, The less, less running backs essentially. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. 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 But because we got him in the sixth round, it didn't flag it. This got flagged as a double anchor, even though in my mind, this is like a hyper fragile build three running backs mm. early four total. Um, so you run into some of those okay. like, qualifications based on how you have to tag this. But to me, um, this isn't surprising relative to how I've been drafting because of the running back value at the two, three turn, really liking Brees Hall, really liking Ramondre Stevenson. And on top of that, the, the options for wide receivers in the early third round, like in my draft rooms, T Higgins is always gone in the second. And you almost have to really reach to do a zero RB build from the first four picks of the board. Like you just have to be like, all right, I'm taking Keenan Allen at pick three, four. I'm taking Debo Samuel. Maybe I start to take some Calvin Ridley here for the people. Um, so as much as I like zero RB, as much as I'm trying to stay ahead of wide receiver avalanches, it's actually been tough to do zero RB without like, I'm fucking doing zero RB in this draft. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like the way that ADPs have somewhat changed this year versus last where a lot more of the wide receivers and QBs going early, you kind of, you leaned into elite QB and then you're taking somewhat uh, of the elite running backs 
where it's like that value is dropping. But a lot of is that due to a lot of the elite wide receivers? You want to pair them with their QB? Yeah, and it's it's funny too because I think um, this is I'm not super heavy on um, my premium stacks, but I was starting to grab like. Josh Allen and backdoor stack him, grab Patrick Mahomes and backdoor stack him. So we'll see some of my premium stacks. I believe it said, uh, and we can check the post that I had zero Kelsey Mahomes like that. I hadn't, hadn't done that one yet, but I have, you know, lots of Kelsey by himself, Mahomes by himself. So yeah, I think that is, um, a dynamic that's happening. Let me pull up. Someone was asking what the two quarterbacks. So the way Dubner defines it is an elite QB would be before round six. Um, QBs, two total QBs would be between round six and 12 would be two QBs in the window. So all of my, like what, like a Daniel Jones to a team, a Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers team, like that's going to be the two QB in the window and then punt QB. And I think overall, I wouldn't mind tilting my exposures down the stretch more to two QB in the window and more to punt QB. Um, just because I've been, I'm still struggling with the elite QB prices. I capitulated a little bit to the market, but I do think I want to have a little bit more conviction on the mid range and late QBs as we go. Yeah. And I wonder if, I mean, this is uh, the way these were defined, have sort of been defined as previous years too. But do you think elite QB might need to change? Like, I feel like round six, like, I don't know. I think of, elite QB as probably the top five guys, like those guys who would be picked in the first round of, of uh super flex, uh, yeah. like out to burrow or I guess Lamar, like burrow Lamar, that, that range. But, um, this is including a little further out, right? Yes. And you know, this, this gets into the whole thing. This is why the bucket ADP bucket concept by Leone is mm. actually the most elegant way to do this because you have to do some, like to make this work in a spreadsheet for Dubair, like you got to have some like kind of formula being like buy this round for it to spit it out. But like all of these builds are more like where or how much capital did you spend overall? Um, and so even this goes back to even Pat's team, right? Like his anchor RB, double anchor RB team was still in one of the bottom buckets for total capital spent at the running back position because he waited so long to take his third running back there. So it's not a perfectly elegant way to splice this, but I do think it is fun to like look at like how many times have you not drafted a running back through five rounds or whatever. It gives us like, I, I would say directionally accurate uh, representation of how I've been drafting, but it can't perfectly capture how I'm really approaching stuff. I mean, the best, most informative thing here is probably wide receiver five by round 10, 80% of my drafts, I've made sure to get those wide receivers early. And that kind of, regardless of which structure I'm employing, I'm generally trying to do that. Yeah. Cause basically you're saying by round 10, you have at least your, your elite QB, two running backs, five wide receivers and a tight end. Like that's basically your goal for each of these. So are you, when you're looking at wide receiver five through round 10, um, why is it round 10 and not say like around eight, I feel like a lot of your drafts, you're probably getting them even earlier than 10, right? Yeah, I think so. This was, um, so when Dubner and I were working on the video about the anatomy of the million dollar lineups and looking at King Caps and Karain, we were using um, wide receiver five by round 10 and looking at some historical win rates for that. But yeah, um, for sure in my drafts, like it's wide receiver five by pick 84. 
that's that's what I think about mm. through seven rounds. That's when you can maybe capture a Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, Elijah Moore, and then the cliff happens. So yeah, I, I assume this percentage would actually be pretty similar through seven as it is through 10, just because in my rooms, the round eight and nine wide receivers are never very attractive. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on here. Uh, one just other note, um, and we've kind of mentioned it too with like the uh, the Dolphins and the Bears backfields and stuff. I do, I am going to ramp up my zero RB builds because we're going to start to get more clarity on these 17th, 18th round options. Some true handcuffs are going to emerge in the same way we saw Jerome Ford and Jalen Warren rocket up forwards as the market got confident in their place on the depth chart. I think we're going to get more clarity on some of these ambiguous situations and that is going to give me more confidence to really push running back builds. So I envision that that number will come up. But speaking of some of these structural things, one big change for me this year has been doing way more triple onesies. So three QB, three tight end builds. It was something I was very hesitant to do in previous BBMs, really trying to allocate my capital to running backs and wide receivers, especially not doing three tight end builds because it's always been a struggle for me to devote that much capital to the lowest scoring position at a onesie position. But one, I've been very willing to listen to smart people tell me I'm wrong. And two, it is undeniable that you can avoid dead roster spots with late round tight ends, where there is a lot of guys that have pretty safe job security. And I think on top of it, some nice upside there that it's been tough for me to ignore what that does for your teams. And then another thing that crystallized for me when I was drafting with Sean, if you are wanting to get five wide receivers early and you also want to scoop up some running back value because that happens, well, you got to punt somewhere and punting QB and punting tight end can allow you to get the wide receiver firepower and the running back value. And so just by necessity of my rooms in this landscape, I have been way more willing, you can see here, to do three tight end builds 39% of the time, three QB builds 35% of the time. Although again, similar with the zero RB stuff, I think as we move throughout the season and I get more late round running back options, I'm going to start tilting back toward more two QB, two tight end builds. Yeah. And a lot of those kind of goes with what your exposures were. You're probably taking Pickett, Fryermuth, towards the end of drafts and, you know, Daniel Jones and, and his wide receivers are later in the drafts. And do you think uh, there's going to be much ADP movement once camp starts? Uh, is it usually it's just running backs that, that move most or will you see, do you expect wide receivers, tight ends, QBs, uh, those sort of other positions to move as well? My, my thought is the movement is going to be fucking wild across the board. And my, my two reasons for that is one, the amount of intensity with people drafting best ball teams is greater than we've ever seen before, which therefore means more people are hawking news, trying to react to trends before they fully materialize and get baked into the ADP. And like one simple example of that, we were looking at my bad Wandale closing line value. That's all because Paris Campbell caught a few balls at OTAs and Paris Campbell flipped yeah. Jalen Hyatt and Wandell Robinson, who remain way better asymmetrical upside bets than Paris Campbell. And yet that is a product of the news hounds drafting on underdog. So if that example is any indication, I really think the draft board could get just completely flipped on its head at some points as we go throughout drafting season. I think it's going to be wild. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think uh, outside of like 
injuries and, and player news like that, like it's obviously going to move, but it's funny. Like we saw it with Kyle Pitts, right. Where like you see, yeah. you see what he does in like uh, the, he, he catches like one deep ball from Desmond Ritter. And then all of a sudden Ritter goes, goes upwards too. I saw that he was one of the guys you wanted to add more of uh, on Ritter. And is yeah. that mostly because you don't have that much Kyle Pitts or, or Drake London. So you haven't really been picking Ritter because is he the, all that much different from a picket or a Howell? I guess Howell's a good example of these guys that haven't really had the number one job yet. They're still young uh, on not great offenses per se, but a lot of people are feel like Falcons is one of the teams that a lot of people are are high on in general compared to last year that they think they're you know picking over on wins totals and just think the overall yeah. offense will be better. Yeah, I do like, and I kind of mentioned it where I want to get those late round quarterback bets that in, in Sean Siegel wrote a really good article about this on Rotoviz, but the main like screener is like, which of these late round guys actually have good weapons at their disposal. And like Ritter has legit weapons. I mean, Bijan London and Pitts is such a sick crew of weaponry. And I want to make sure I'm getting access to him. And I do wish one, I have more pits. I want more Ritter and that'll help me balance out my exposure to Howell and Pickett. I, like I was kind of saying, I want to shift some of that Howell to Purdy and Ritter um, and get access to these breakout quarterbacks who do have good weaponry around them. And yeah, I want to get more two tight end builds. I, I'm really trying to get more Kyle Pitts. And I think I might, you know, I've been playing the value hound game. Like, man, sometimes he slides to pick 80, you know, like, should I try to get the value? But it's like, I might just start biting the bullet um, in the early sixth round, mid sixth round and start scooping up some more Kyle Pitts. I do have to mention this 1% for tight end. We do have a uh, best ball thought leader, David kitchen in the, in the chat. This is a product of a swole cast mission where I was uh, tasked with drafting four tight ends. I would never do that on my own volition. I have capitulated to big three tight end. I will never capitulate other than a swole cast mission to big four tight end. Um, I personally don't find like the specific roster constructions, two, four, 10, two, two, five, nine, two to be, that interesting but is there anything that jumps out to you here uh no i think that it kind of goes with the chart above where you're pretty much just taking uh eight or nine wide receivers on most drafts you're taking five or six running backs on most drafts and then just two or three qbs and it just formulates from there um there is a note on there or i'm not sure if you put it in here but uh i believe your highest exposure was the same breakout as Pat's team last year, the two five eight three, right? Oh jeez, is it now? Or was now it's it the three five eight two? Copying him? Uh, I, yeah. No. So, are you trying to not necessarily mimic, but um, a lot of the higher advance rates are your higher exposures? Is that just a product of how you're drafting, or are you trying to have higher percentage of these, you know, three five eight two, two five eight three? I think I think the reason why I'm less interested in these specific constructions is that I've had way more flexibility with like pick 16, 17, 18 of being like, let's just take the best player available. I've like made my structural decisions through 15 rounds, essentially, like this is my structure. And then those last three are going to get mixed and matched, maybe toss on a third tight end, maybe a third quarterback, maybe an extra running back in this build, even though you used five picks relatively early-ish. Maybe you do an eight running or wide receiver, even though you took seven early just because the stack's here. I think I've just been way more malleable with that, that I'm not 
there aren't constructions where I'm like going out of my way. I will say like my favorite construction to do in general is a 2772 build, which is funny because I'm a little light on this compared to others, but that's just where you're going with the two quarterback, two tight end build. It, this lends itself really well to what would just be my ideal construction, which is a zero RB build with six wide receivers early, five wide receivers early, an elite quarterback, elite tight end, and then you spray and pray at running back in the back stretch. And I think we can pull up a team. I believe I did one with Herzig on when I did the ETR stream. That was a pretty classic 2772 that I liked. Yeah, here's the team. A Lamar Jackson, Kenny Pickett has George Kittle at tight end. So you get the elite quarterback, the elite tight end, wide receivers, Adams, Amon Ra, Debo Samuel, JSN, Bateman, Flowers. So getting seven wide receivers before pick 85. There are six wide receivers. And then spray and pay at running back, A-Chain, Charbonnet, Kendry Miller, Jamal Williams, Raheem Moster, Algier, Gus Edwards. Like this is like my favorite team to build. But Lou, my draft rooms do not let me build this on the regular. Yeah, so is it because you are on the ETR stream and there's different people watching and and they're different in there? That's that's interesting. Do, do you think, and this is something I've been thinking about when watching some of your streams, do you think that your rooms are potentially better to be in to get some of your guys and, and some of your stacks because a lot of other people are, are like-minded? Or do you think it's worse because you can't build something like that 2772 that you were just looking at? Yeah, I mean, I do I do think it's like impacting my structures. Like I just wrote up for Fantasy Life a slow bulldog draft. I did a $500 one and I had a team that I never would have been able to build on stream where I was able to do the structure I wanted, which was like a modified anchor RB. Kenneth Walker was my first running back selection in round five. I was able to get all my player targets where it's just like, Look, I like Kendra Miller, but someone in my draft room is going to like him more than me. I like Kyle Pitts, but someone in my room is going to like him more than me. And so, yeah, I'm naturally getting pushed to slightly different constructions and slightly different player targets than I would just select perfectly in a vacuum, all other things considered. And in some ways, that's frustrating. In some ways, it's fun to get naturally diversified in ways I otherwise wouldn't because I saw my teams last year and I drafted a ton of the same players ton of the same structures and you know it didn't quite work out for me you know and again there's so much variance to that it's hard to pull out what was the root cause of that but i i legitimately have been enjoying getting pushed to these different structures getting pushed to different players and it's like every time i do a draft like this draft with high i was like man i would have never have drafted a team like this every draft with sean it's like holy shit what's going on um but i do think it's going to give me some really fun overall texture to my portfolio yeah and I think it, it could be interesting if someone like Herzig went through and did a similar breakdown of his and see how, how close it is or different. Um, obviously, this is only 375 of them. Um, I'm guessing you you probably do some sort of exercise like this at the end uh, of 150 of them. But are you are you taking some of this and saying, like you just said there, like you want more 2772, uh, you want more of the different structures from above are you going to go in and, and potentially i mean i know you said you don't like the the four t tight end build but at the end of the day if a lot of your opponents are doing that do you think maybe you should have some more exposure to it yeah and this is and i do think it's going to dovetail nicely because knowing that there aren't a lot of running back targets late that were viable has pushed me into these other constructions being like, Hey, I like the quarterbacks late. I like the tight ends late. Therefore I'm going to focus on this. 
as more of those, it's like a trickle down effect with more zero running back targets late. That'll allow me to take more detours early for other positions, elite quarterback, elite tight end. And then I can accomplish some of those goals together, right? Get that Kyle Pitts share up, get that George Kittle share up there with elite tight ends and then get more zero RB builds because I know there's more picks I like late. So I really do see that tilt starting to happen as we enter training camp in the preseason. And you can see we can circle back to some of the other bullets, but these were some of my plan of attack for the last 75. Obviously more zero RB, more Kyle Pitts and elite tight end builds, more Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter to match Pickett and Howell, uh, more JSN to match Lockett because I do prefer JSN to uh, to Lockett, but I have way more Lockett right now. So I'm going to work on that. More Viking stacks, which is basically a placeholder for more schedule and weather related builds when possible. Um, the Lions, the Colts are obviously teams I've been building on. It's funny that Anthony Richardson didn't come up in this exercise at all because I had such a hard fade on him, but I've really started to boost my exposure in the past couple of weeks because I'm starting to get Anthony Richardson um, well past pick 100. I think I got him at pick 118 the other day. So I imagine I'll end up being pretty even with the field, if not slightly over, if he continues to drop, um, because I, I, that was probably one of my biggest wins, you know, as far as being patient with getting access to a player where I did not chase Anthony Richardson up, his ADP has finally slid back down. And now I'm going to be able to pack my bags at a much more reasonable price. Yeah. It, it could be interesting to look at that. The CLV chart for spags with, with Richardson was he, he was taking him at like 70. Is that where he opened? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to dunk on Spags too hard without him uh, around for me to dunk on him to his face. Cause that's my preferred way to dunk on Spags. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just like, it goes back to it, but I'm sure Spags still has conviction in the same way. I'm like, I have no problem having bad CLV on Wandale Robinson, you know, where it's like, we're all going to be stubborn um, with our picks. But at the end of the day, even if you like a guy, you would rather have them at a cheaper price. Like that, that's the way. And we're going to miss out on some and we're going to be right on some. Let's just circle back to, I believe this last section we didn't hit was kind of my favorite stacks. We yeah. talked about Kenny Pickett to Pat Fryermuth is my most drafted stack. Kenny Pickett, my most drafted QB. And uh, it's Ben Fryermuth that I've gotten the most of. I like Johnson and Pickens. It's just because they're more expensive, I'm often only getting one or the other. So they're kind of pulling exposure from each other. And then if you miss out on one of those, um, one, I'm often selecting Fryermuth by himself, knowing, hey, Kenny Pickett's available um, as a backdoor stack. And so the combination of Friar Moose price and then loving Kenny Pickett has kind of surprisingly led to that being my, my favorite stack. And I like it because I want to bet on the Steelers being an undervalued offense. And I think if there's one or two tight ends that could realistically finish top five, I think Pat Friar Muth is one of the guys outside of those top eight or nine guys who could crack that list. Yeah. yeah and we saw last year he had, he was the touchdown guy. Uh, for them and obviously the one Najee share that you had uh, was on a picket team have you thought about taking Najee uh, outside of Steelers stacks and it's sort of like you're still betting on the offense but uh, you have so much of the pass game already that what if Najee has a three touchdown game or something yeah, I've got, you know, I of course have so little uh, nausea. I'm going to try to pull it up here and see. I believe I've only taken him one time and it was a pretty extreme value. What was it here? This draft, I got him at pick 55. Oh, so wow. I think, and I do think that is going to be my, my the thing I struggle with with nausea so much, and it's not just like doing a bid. I want 0% of this guy. It's that if I'm taking a running back in that range, I prefer ETN to him. 
I prefer Jameer Gibbs to him and I prefer Kenneth Walker to him. And so it's just, even if I'm making that detour for a running back, it's rarely going to be him. So it has to be like the perfect storm where it's like, those guys are off the board. It's a piss boy room and Najee falls to the fifth. Like sure. In those scenarios, I'll get some exposure. Although I should give a plug tonight. I'm doing best ball after dark with Eagles. One of the most high volume drafters on underdog and a noted Najee Harris super fan. I assume we're going to end up drafting a BBM four team tonight on best ball after dark. So maybe I will get my second Najee Harris uh, share tonight. So yeah, it's, it's a combination of a bunch of factors kind of leading to that, but it's like, man, I, I love Kenneth Walker so much. I feel like Kenneth Walker is the Najee Harris play, but like better in every way and also cheaper. And so it's just so hard for me to make that click. Yeah. I, I get it from that point of view. Um, and you know, as, as Ryan saying, like, do you want to make too big of a bet on the Steelers offense? Cause what if they just aren't, uh, they're basically what they were last year and maybe they don't get that much better. Um, you don't want to be stuck too deep. Do you think any, are you happy with your exposures to, to all these teams? Obviously like some of the teams that you have the highest exposure to with, with like Denver and, and Pittsburgh obviously didn't have great offenses last year. Are you concerned about that at all? Or are you pretty comfortable with trying to sort of buy the dip on them? Yeah, I mean, the the kind of like framework that I think about a lot of this stuff is like, you know, if, so say I'm making a bet on the Steelers offense being um, a bounce back offense this year. At the cheaper prices, like a Fryermuth who's not a top seven tight end cost, or Kenny Pickett, who's a super cheap one, or Jalen Warren, or whatever, like I have room for air, right? Like they could be average, and those picks are not going to kill my portfolio. When you're taking the most expensive piece on an offense that you're worried about, may or may they not ascend, your room for air diminishes. And that's how kind of you're seeing a lot of my fades of why I'm like so spooked on Ridley and them. It's like, it feels like it's so fully baked in. And it's also why I've been just playing even some of the elite offenses through the cheaper pieces. Like I think there's maybe more ambiguity with how the bills, you know, pass distribution is going to shake out than the market is indicating. I'd rather play it through Dawson Knox and Khalil Shakur and Deontay Hardy late and James Cook. And so I, I think that is just kind of a general lens that I'm viewing everything in of like, how can I get access to these offenses in cheaper ways? So it's like, I don't have a ton of Aaron Jones, but I've been really like taking, you know, Romeo Dobbs or Jaden Reed and, and Jordan Love and getting access to, hey, what if Jordan Love is good? Well, if Jordan Love implodes and the whole offense implodes, then like that fifth round Aaron Jones is not going to look good. So I kind of think of it as a sliding scale of, you know, where am I going to not get sunk? And it's also why I have like a lot of Keenan Allen and Chris Godwin, which I think you could say not the sexiest picks, they're probably not going to outperform their ADP by like three rounds and end up as first round picks next year. But I do feel like I know what I'm buying there. Whereas some of these offenses, I don't know um, if that can be, be the case. Yeah. And Seattle obviously was the team last year who a lot of people were low on and they ended up being uh, league winners really. And so it's kind of like trying to find that what you're buying when other people don't want to buy uh, sometimes that's the edge you you might end up needing at the end of the day. Let's uh let's look at the last thing here. I had a stacking nugget here, which um I do not have many of the premium stacks. I've been kind of you know I started off the off season being like I, I really don't like doing these at all. I have started to do more of like the Bengals version of it, just because Burrow being a slider 
into the fifth round sometimes, I think makes it a little bit more palatable. But you can see here, I have zero Kelsey Mahomes, AJ Brown Hurts, and Andrews Lamar. I would love, these people post these screenshots of their Andrews Lamar at the 3-4 turn, and I'm like, not, not in my rooms. Um, one digs Allen, three Hurts Devonta Smith, which makes sense, Smith and Hurts being second, third round, as opposed to first and second round. Five Burrow Higgins and six Burrow Chase. Um, I am not, I'm not too spooked about this. Like I still have my Kelsey. I still have my Mahomes. I still have my AJB hurts. I'm just not spending it all on that offense up at the top. So I'm, I'm pretty comfy with being underweight, these premium stacks. Yeah. I think, uh, I almost would be more concerned about having zero from these versus the only one Chubb and Barkley. Um, mm. but if a Hertz or Mahomes team gets to the final, wouldn't they have probably had uh, one of those either Kelsey or, or Brown on it? Um, yeah, you know, that last I think of last year uh, as a good example on like teams that I got through. Um, I had I think I had six teams get to that second round where um, they were all Mahomes or Hertz teams, and all the Mahomes teams had Kelsey on it. All the yeah. Hertz teams had. Uh, more Devonta on it, but Devonta or AJ Brown. So do you think like a Mahomes team can get there, get you there without Kelsey on it? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and it, again, too, like there's different ways to combat it. And I, I will say like the reason this is happening to it, it all comes back to the wide receiver avalanche er, era, knowing like if I'm taking more than two detours away from wide receiver through seven rounds, it's really, really hard. I will say I, because of that, um, you know, Mahomes, Kelsey, that's two detours right there off the start, right? Like away from it, which means no running back value to scoop up because you're just having to catch up at wide receiver, at least with Mahomes and Allen without the premium there's so many options later throughout the draft. I mean, there's like a chief's wide receiver every other round through the double digits. And so that's why I like those backdoor stacks more, especially with like, yeah, maybe we should be factoring in an age cliff a little bit more for Kelsey. Maybe we should be factoring in that like Diggs isn't commanding the target share that we'd like him to be and that. Like playing this through the cheaper pieces might be more optimal. Um, I, I would say the Eagles are maybe the exception where like they are so concentrated through Smith and AJB where I understand why people want to do that. But when I still think through, I think the premium stacks are a smash for the regular season. I think it's going to help your advance rates. If those offenses are as good as we think you're going to be very happy with that. But just the way that you need to finish first out of 16 in back-to-back -back weeks, like you are going to need your premium stacks going nuts for three weeks in a row, you can ping pong it, right? You could have Hertz to AJB for 40 the next week, Hertz to Devonta Smith for 40 and, and make that work. But it's just a tougher needle to thread when you've devoted that much draft capital, not to mention if they smash in the regular season, you are going to show up with so many other teams with those same players. So it's just yeah. been a little bit harder for me, for me to stomach. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're in the spy and you have the, you know, 50% Tony Pollard on that week and everyone else has them. So you really have to get different elsewhere. Uh, the other thing to note here, which a lot of people try these double stacks with, with these upper end guys, you have none yeah. of that, right? I know you did a video on it, but um, do you think any of these double stacks, like they won't work with these quarterbacks, but do you think the double stacks later on in the draft um, with some of these higher end 
like wide receiver ones that are going early, like a I don't know Dak, let's say like Dak with yeah. with Lamb and Cooks. Uh, do you think yeah. those could emerge? Yeah, because I and again, there's uh, I don't have like a specific rule that I'm doing, but basically, if you're having to devote you know, two or three of your top four picks to the same offense. I just don't like that the way this tournament's structured. So in that example, right, you're using a first round pick on CD lamb, but then cooks is an eighth round pick and Dak can sometimes fall, especially one nice thing about that Lou too, is if you take lamb and cooks, like Dak is almost for sure going to fall. So you're yeah. going to get a big deal on that. If you take, even if you take Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, like Tua is almost for sure going to fall. So the fact that you can get, that other piece at a really massive discount makes that more palatable to me. It's just, it's really just those ones where you have to use two of the first three or three of the first four picks on one offense. I just, I get uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I guess that's sort of my thought is like these, these QBs kind of blew up uh, higher up because of these elite double stacks working in the past. So I wasn't sure if you still thought that double stacks could work like that. The high, yeah. higher cost ones. I think so. I think what it's just, it's so crazy, right? Is like we have all of this data and you look back and you saw how these elite premium stacks, how, you know, beneficial they were. It was what, two years ago that you had that, like if you had the Burrow Higgins, Jamar Chase, I mean, you were just flying to the best ball mania two finals. The difference is this is the first year we've seen the cost of the quarterback in those premium stacks being this expensive. And I do really think it is going to impact advance rates that cost the opportunity cost of the running backs and wide receivers you're passing on to complete that is pretty pretty high and yeah. so it will be really interesting to review in retrospect because we just haven't had an era of best ball data where the quarterback prices have been this expensive yeah yeah that'll be interesting to see in in fantasy football garage is talking about that uh in the chat where two uh people are taking two a naked uh yeah do you think do you think that could work because I mean, there were some some weeks last year, like you don't know if it was Waddle or, or Tyreek, but one of them kind of had to be paired with Tua to really work. So yeah, I don't my, know about Tua naked. We t I talked about this with Sean because we've had a couple times in my drafts with Sean where it's like, I think the two examples were like Russell Wilson slid like 40 picks past ADP and Aaron Rodgers slid like 35 picks past ADP. And I was like, Sean, you want to, you want to scoop up this value here? I mean, we need a quarterback. that's pretty good value. And he, and he was always hesitant because he's so conscious of how does this team win in these playoffs? And we know how important stacking is. So my thought is scooping that value probably for sure helps your advance rates out of the regular season. You're going to build stronger teams, more resilient at the position, but you're probably capping your upside in the fantasy playoffs. Now, I think you could argue with some of those guys, hey, you can go get Miko Hardman and Tyler Conklin unless Paul's in a draft with you and build out that double stack as a backdoor. Same with, you know, you could grab Marvin Mims and Dolchich or Tim Patrick to round that out. So just because you don't have the stack right away, but one thing I noticed when drafting with Sean is he is like, he sees the board from immediately those first few picks. And he already knows like, these are the games I'm building around. This is how I want this team to really lever itself up. And he's just like, not going to get blinded by an ADP value, throwing him off the scent of a team he actually thinks can come together in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it this was a pretty good exercise. Do you feel like you have a better sense of, like how you've been drafting and just if there's things you want to change, do you think if you didn't go through them like this, uh, you'd really be changing anything? 
No, I am. I am glad that I did it because like I said, I do kind of approach each draft as its own beast by necessity, by necessity. Cause I'm drafting with people also because the rooms can be wildly different. Like you saw, like that ETR room was so different than like my best ball breakfast streams, which are even like when we do a ship chasing stream, even the ship chasing streams are more insane than my best ball breakfast one. So like all these rooms do take on these different and yes, take a drink textures. Um, but I do like this exercise because it did, I have some concrete takeaways of like, yeah, I like Sam Howell, but I don't like him that much more than Brock Purdy and Desmond Ritter. It's like, yeah, I like Tyler Lockett, but I actually like JSN more. Yeah, mm. I like the third round running back values, but man, I love what Zero RB can do to supercharge teams in this tournament format. And so it was a really good check-in for me. And I guarantee you're going to see me talking about on the rest of my drafts, how I am going to maybe go just slightly more out of my way to, to kind of tilt towards some things that I would like to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, I agree with that. It's, it's going to be cool to see, like, even as next week, if you start changing stuff um, to just watch how those exposures can change over time. For sure. And um, uh, I, I doubt I'm going to end up doing a thread. I just, a, a man has to draw the line somewhere, but I would really appreciate if you guys subscribe to the PO box newsletter this is uh i put this out on fridays generally in the morning although today i was scrambling to get this post done so it took me a little longer and so if you want to review more up close some of the screenshots the data there um you can get access to this and you can always check all the old posts too at the p.o box i have the link pinned in the chat right now you can subscribe for free completely free i'll drop that into your inbox some days it's about uh, best ball. Some days it's about working out. I kind of just run the gamut here, lifestyle, fitness, content creation, habit stacking, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, get the PO box newsletter and I will be back on Monday. Do want to give a couple more shout outs just to reiterate, um, the fantasy life best ball hub completely free. You can upload your CSV from underdog and spit out all of your exposures. You can look at various combinations. Um, you can pull up each individual team as well. Like I did here for this one with Chris G and then also Michael Dubner's um, awesome Excel stra uh, exposure tracker. So I linked to this as well in here. You can download this. And so a lot of the data you are seeing here, as far as my exposures, my draft pick frequency, you can get all of that from the Dubner sheet. And then again, big thanks to Dubner, to Nick, um, for helping go through all of this data and pull out some interesting nuggets for me. And again, huge shout out to um, Phil, who's also been producing with us, Lou, who's been crushing it, on all these shorts. Um, I, bit, I bit off a lot this summer, uh, Lou, trying to get a lot accomplished, and I wouldn't have been able to yeah. do it with all you guys helping behind the scenes here. So uh, very big thanks for all the hard work you guys have been doing. Yeah, it's cool to see like how many people are involved now, how many different uh, like wings you can sort of call it. Um, but yeah, I think it's... It, I've also noticed with those videos, your best ball tips, uh, some of those that, that you've gone through... And then seeing in the what you want to do in the future, like the elite tight end was one of your videos. The Vikings, oh, you need more Viking stacks. Well, that was one of your videos too. So it's kind of cool to see like how uh, you're taking your own advice in a way. Yeah, it, that's normally what happens, right? Because like I'll be in a draft and I'll be like, holy shit, the Giants unlock this really fun build where you have multiple wide receivers and you can get access to ceilings. Like, let me make a video about that. But it's basically, I'm using it as an excuse to remind myself uh, to do it. But Lou referencing, um, I don't know sometimes how this shows up in your guys' feed, but I do have a playlist for the best ball tips. Lou has been editing all of these. We're through 29 right now. And 
I sometimes take for granted that everyone's just a sicko, just so like deeply embedded within this world. But if you were trying to get caught up to speed quickly, I do think like binge watching, you could literally watch all of these in 30 minutes and you would get some really good evergreen strategy. I would say like 90, 95% of these are fully evergreen and still applicable. So if you're new to best ball, you want to check out these best ball tips. Um, you can check that playlist. I have linked down below and Lou has been uh, crushing it on the edits as well. Yeah, it's cool to see them all in, in one place like that, too. You it just is. go down yeah. the list. They're only a minute long, so it's half an hour. You get through them all. There you go. There you go. Uh, you can cancel your Netflix sub and uh, binge watch Best Ball Tips uh, this weekend on your big screen. Um, all right. Hope you guys all have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Like I said, for YouTube members, I'll be back tonight to do uh, a Best Ball After Dark with Eagles. I've gotten lots of good feedback on that series. It's part you know, best ball talk, but also just me either catching up with old friends, which was the case with Adam Levitan last week, or this week getting to know new people. I literally have never done a show with him. I've only interacted with uh, James, AKA Eagles on Twitter a little bit. So super excited to get to know him. And I guarantee you, we will draft a very fun team tonight, knowing how different our stylistic drafting tastes are. So you can tune in for that at 9 PM. If you are a YouTube member, any final words here, Lou, before we get out? No, uh, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. And as always, you can see the header here, the Deposit Kingdom. That is, of course, in reference to the Discord. It's an awesome, awesome spot to be. If you want to talk fantasy football, all the best ball channels are popping. We got the private channels. If you guys are YouTube members on either uh, here for Best Ball Breakfast or Ship Chasing, but um, all kinds of good stuff in there. So hop in the Deposit Kingdom if you guys want to continue talking about best ball around the clock. Like I said, I will see you tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. For Lou, I'm Pete. For Nick, for Jonathan, peace out, guys.